You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. In the dimly lit confines of the old house, there lingers an eerie presence, an intangible weight that hangs heavy in the air, suffusing every shadowed corner with a palpable sense of dread. It's a place where the walls whisper secrets of unspeakable horrors, each crack and crevice bearing silent witness to the violence and tragedy that unfolded within its aged confines. The echoes of anguish resonate through the empty halls, a haunting reminder of the innocence that was cruelly snuffed out in a single moment of brutality. Here, time stands still, frozen in a perpetual state of mourning, as the ghostly specters of the past wander aimlessly their anguished cries echoing through the darkness. As the moonlight filters through the tattered curtains, one cannot help but feel the weight of sorrow pressing down upon them. Welcome to Destination Terror, your passport to the scariest places in the world. From haunted hotels to locations of unexplained creature sightings, and now, places that we only visit in our imagination. Together, we will travel to places that will provide excitement, adventure, and horror. Today, we're visiting the Velisca Axe Murder House in Velisca, Iowa, the location of one of the most brutal home invasions in American history. So if you're into travel and all things scary, listen close and you might just discover your next exciting adventure destination but hopefully not your final destination. Destination Terror is an EerieCast original podcast hosted by me, Carmen Garion. 
If you would like to send us a suggestion or submit a story with your own experience, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at carmencarrion. If you enjoy the show, please follow and rate Destination Terror on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help us grow. Also, check out eeriecast.com for more scary podcasts, such as Freaky Folklore, the podcast where together we explore horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. The squirrels and the birds had grown quiet as they watched Cain drop the heavy bundle to the ground. It was as if they knew he was up to no good. Maybe the animals could sense the presence of evil. He checked the plastic and the duct tape to make sure it was sealed tight enough to keep the wild animals away until someone could come along and find it. He liked them in good shape when they were discovered so the detectives could see his handiwork. He was very skilled at what he did, and he took pride in it. Unfortunately, he couldn't brag about it to anyone, so this was his best way to show off. Besides, he liked the attention that he got from the TV news and newspapers. Raising his boot, he gave the bundle a rough kick, sending it rolling down the embankment. It stopped at the bottom with what he thought was a satisfying thud. Hearing a dog barking nearby, he hastened his departure, but not before looking back one last time, as if to say goodbye. Sixteen was Kane's lucky number. She had been sixteen, and she was his sixteenth victim. And it was the 16th day of January. He wasn't sure what he would ever need luck for, but he would take it just the same. Haley. That was the name she had given him when he picked her up in his car. She said it was her first time ordering an Uber. Except, he wasn't an Uber driver. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Someone needed to teach these young girls how to be safer. But it was his good fortune that they were so naive. Climbing into the driver's seat of his Toyota, he put the key into the ignition and then hesitated. His eyes were drawn to the glittering pink object lying in the cup holder. He couldn't resist picking it up and holding it between his thumb and index finger. The morning sun hit the glitter just right, causing it to sparkle. He turned the tiny trophy in his hand and held it where he could see the thin layer of skin, still dangling to the back of the fingernail. He raised the shiny side to his lips and kissed it gingerly before slipping it into the little baggie in the console. 116. That's how many miles he had to go before he could rest for the night. Always 116. He would have chosen 16, but that was just too close. Kane put the Toyota into drive and backed out of the gravel parking lot. He felt utterly satisfied, but he knew that the high would only last him for a few weeks until the craving began to gnaw at him again. He liked to plan ahead, so he already knew where he was going. 
Villisca, Iowa. He had never been to Iowa before. Everything was all so easy these days. He could pick anywhere on the map and set his GPS. He could do everything from his phone, book rooms, even move money. Life had been much simpler since his monthly checks had been directly deposited. He was never tied down to one place. The Toyota's tires slung gravel as he pulled out onto the highway and headed north. He turned on the radio and cursed the lack of stations that were worth listening to these days. He sat his phone into the mount on the dash and pulled up his playlist. He started off, as always, with his favorite, Jack the Ripper by Motorhead. Kane's fingers thumped the steering wheel in tune to the song as he drove down the highway, going over every vivid detail of his night and early morning activities, filing them away in his sordid collection. Back home, when he still worked in the office, he had fantasized about the day that he could hit the road and indulge in his wildest, sadist fantasies without the constant fear of being caught. He had been leading this life full-time for four years now, and no one had a clue. He wasn't even sure if anyone had connected the murders, since they were spread across the country. An hour down the road, the Toyota crossed the Kansas state line into Iowa. He was still driving north on Highway 71 when his stomach began to rumble. But anxious to put more distance between him and the black bag, wrapped in duct tape, he continued on until he reached the small town of Villisca. It wasn't what he had hoped for. It was much smaller. It wasn't often that his research failed him, but when it did, he would just come up with an alternate plan. Villisca looked quaint and refreshing compared to the larger towns and cities he usually hunted in. People in small towns tended to remember strangers. He may not hunt here, but it didn't mean that he couldn't take a break and stay for a bit. The little town kind of reminded him of the small town he had grown up in. There were a few churches, a historic area with older buildings, and a charming cafe right on the corner. It was the perfect location to relax, eat, and scout out a place to rest. Maybe he could find a nice bed and breakfast. If not, a quiet place to park his car would do. Finding a spot to park the Toyota across the street, he stepped out of the car and sauntered towards the charming cafe on the corner, the scent of freshly brewed coffee wafting towards him like a siren's call. As he entered the cafe, as he entered the cafe, the patrons cast curious glances in his direction before returning to their conversations in hushed tones. Ordering a cup of coffee, Kane settled into a corner booth. Villisca may have been smaller than he had hoped, but there was something about the town that intrigued him, a sense of history lurking in its shadows. As he sipped his coffee, Kane's thoughts drifted back to the dark bundle he had left behind a silent testament to his twisted desires. His thoughts were interrupted by a hush that fell upon the establishment, as everyone seemed to be transfixed to the flat-screen TV that hung on the wall. A weatherman was pointing to areas on the screen 
with charts lining the bottom, warning of severe winter weather that would be arriving later that evening. Kane grimaced at the thought of spending a long cold night in his Toyota, where he could end up snowed in. Signaling the waitress to his table, he inquired about rooms to rent, but was disappointed when she told him that the closest motel was the next town over. She suggested that he should check the Airbnb website online before giving him a bit of information that should have been useless. Well, you know, heaps of folks come round here hoping to snag a spot at the Axe Murder House. But the rooms? Oh, they're filled up quick as a wink. You might luck out if you check the website, though. Just gotta have your ID and credit card handy. She drawled out in her thick Iowa accent. It's got a bit of history, you see. Whole darn family got slaughtered there a real long time back. Ain't quite figured why anyone be plumb loco enough to bed down in that place. Sides, it's shut down for now anyhow. Something about repairs or whatnot. Kane caught her drift all right. The joint was deserted. And it looked like it would stay that way for a spell. Sounded like the ideal spot to hunker down and ride out the storm. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When most people think of haunted locations, the first thing that comes to mind is haunted houses, places that were homes filled with memories of families that used to dwell there. Maybe great-great-grandma wasn't ready to give up her home and decided to stick around for a while, or a sick child that passed within the walls still comes out to play. These kinds of haunted places, although harmless, are still creepy, but there's nothing like visiting a home that has a traumatic past, a past where the former inhabitants were murdered. The spirits that linger in these places are most likely angry 
and maybe even confused. In Villisca, Iowa, you can not only find, but you can visit the location of one of the grisliest murder sites in the U.S. history, the Villisca Axe Murder House. The Villisca Axe Murder House is a notorious location in Villisca, Iowa, where one of the most infamous unsolved murders took place. The house gained its notoriety on June 10, 1912, when Josiah and Sarah Moore, along with their four children and two visiting children, were brutally murdered with an axe while they slept. The Moore family comprised Josiah B., aged 43, and Sarah Montgomery, 39, along with their four children, Herman Montgomery, 11, Mary Catherine, 10, Arthur Boyd, 7, and Paul Vernon, 5. Respected members of their community, the Moors enjoyed affluence and widespread popularity. On June 9, 1912, Mary Catherine, their only daughter, invited Ina May, 8, and Alina Gertrude Stillinger, 12, to spend the night at their residence. That evening, they all attended the Presbyterian Church's Children's Day program, organized by Sarah, before returning home around 9.45 to 10 p.m. The next morning at 7 a.m., grew concerned upon noticing the Moore family's absence from their usual morning routine. Attempting to rouse them, she found the door locked and sought assistance from Ross Moore, Josiah's brother. Together they entered the house and made a grisly discovery in the guest bedroom on the lower floor, where Ina and Lena Stillinger lay lifeless. The authorities were promptly notified and Velisca's primary peace officer, Henry Hank Horton, arrived on the scene. When Hank Horton received a skeleton key from Ross Moore on Joe Moore's front porch, he represented the law enforcement presence in Velisca, Montgomery County, and the state of Iowa. As the day marshal, he led Velisca's small police force and now stood on the brink of investigating Iowa's most horrific crime scene. Hank had no prior experience that could prepare him for this moment. In his usual duties, Hank checked doors in the evening to ensure local businesses were securely locked. He dealt with occasional troublemakers and intoxicated individuals, although there weren't many due to Montgomery County being legally dry, just before national prohibition. Hank also kept watch over strangers and directed transient individuals out of town. Crime in Villisca was uncommon, and murder was unheard of until June 10, 1912. As Hank surveyed the grim scene of two victims in the downstairs bedroom, he likely pondered how his life had brought him to such a harrowing place. Continuing his solemn inspection, he climbed the creaky stairs to Joe and Sarah Moore's bedroom. What he discovered were six more tragic victims all murdered in their sleep. Upon stepping onto the front porch, Hank exclaimed to Ross Moore and others, My God, Ross, there is someone murdered in every bed. Having fulfilled his initial duties by confirming all victims were beyond assistance and ensuring no perpetrator remained, Hank had initially contented himself with a visual assessment of the scene, leaving everything undisturbed. However, over the next two hours, 
Hank's actions were less diligent. After locking up the murder house, he went uptown to summon a doctor and request additional assistance. During the doctor's subsequent examination, Hank, acting somewhat as a guide, moved objects within the house, inadvertently contaminating the crime scene. Later that morning, as Night Marshal Mike Overman took charge, the police lost control, and a flood of curious onlookers streamed into the house through its three entrances. Contaminated is not a strong enough word for what happened to the crime scene. Medical examinations indicated the murders occurred between midnight and 5 a.m. The killer or killers believed to have hidden in the attic used Josiah's axe to perpetrate the gruesome act. Josiah bore the brunt of the attack, while Sarah and the children were bludgeoned with the blunt end of the weapon. The murderer also had searched dresser drawers for pieces of clothing to cover the mirrors in the house and the glass in the entry doors. Officials found a plate of uneaten food and a bowl of bloody water in the kitchen. In the room where the Stillinger sisters' bodies were found, something strange was left in the floor. A four-pound slab of bacon wrapped in cloth and lying next to the bloody axe. Nothing else was disturbed in the residence, according to Tribune archives. Bloodhounds were sent from Nebraska in an attempt to hunt down a suspect. A Tribune reporter wrote, The slaying of the entire family promises to become a mystery which will take much time to unravel. Investigators surmised that all victims, except Lena Stillinger, were asleep when attacked. Lena's defensive wounds suggested she had fought back, prompting speculation of sexual assault, though subsequent investigations disproved this theory. Over the years, authorities pursued various leads, one of which involved the Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. He departed Villisca on a train the morning after the murders and allegedly shared details about the tragic event with fellow passengers, mentioning the deaths of eight individuals who had been slain in their beds, as reported by Iowa cold cases. Notably, the bodies had not yet been discovered at that time. Months later, Kelly provided a signed confession, claiming that he had received a divine message instructing him to suffer the children to come unto me. However, he retracted his confession during his trial in September. Despite this, the jury remained deadlocked at 11 to 1 for acquittal, according to Iowa cold cases. Subsequently, a second jury also acquitted Kelly in November. To date, no other individuals have faced trial for the murders. Who might be responsible for such a gruesome deed? Here are the five most notable suspects from that time. One unexpected figure associated with the brutal Villisca murders was Frank F. Jones. Jones, a well-respected member of the community and an Iowa State Senator, had employed Josiah Moore for several years before Moore left to establish his own farm implement business. Rumors circulated that Moore had taken a profitable John Deere contract with him, along with possibly having an alleged affair with Jones' daughter. Although Detective Wilkerson from the Burns Detective Agency in Kansas City pointed to Jones as the perpetrator, no formal charges were filed against the senator. 
While Wilkerson suspected Frank F. Jones of orchestrating the Velisca murders, he believed that William Blackie Mansfield was the individual who carried out the killings. Mansfield, suspected of being a serial killer, responsible for the deaths of his wife, infant child, and in-laws, as well as similar axe murders in Paola, Kansas, just days before the Velisca incident, was allegedly hired by Jones to carry out the killings. Wilkerson convinced a grand jury to investigate Mansfield in 1916, but an alibi led to his release. Another theory suggested by a federal investigator in May 1913 implicated Henry Lee Moore, unrelated to Josiah Moore's family, who had previously been convicted of murdering his mother and grandmother, months after the Velisca murders. Despite the federal investigator's claims connecting Henry Moore to 22 other axe murders nationwide, he was never charged with the Velisca killings or any other suspected murders. The primary suspect in the Velisca case was George Kelly. The traveling minister was arrested in 1917 after years of sending inquiries about the murders to authorities and victims' families with a history of prior arrests including for sending obscene material through the mail and a stint in a mental hospital. As previously mentioned, Kelly confessed to the Velisca killings under interrogation. However, he recanted. And after the two trials, one ending in a hung jury and the other in acquittal, doubts lingered about Kelly's involvement. In the years following the murders, various confessions were received by investigators including one from a prisoner in 1931, Detroit, claiming an anonymous businessman had offered him $5,000 to carry out the Moore family killings. However, each lead and confession ultimately led nowhere. The house where the murders took place still stands and has become a tourist attraction known as the Velisca Axe Murder House. Over the decades, it has gained a reputation for being haunted, with many visitors reporting paranormal experiences and encounters. The house has been the subject of numerous investigations, documentaries, and books, perpetuating its dark legacy in American folklore and true crime history. In the 1990s, the home was painstakingly restored by historians Martha and Gavin Lynn at great expense and effort to appear exactly like the night of the crime, right down to the lack of electricity or running water. Due to their dedication, the Josiah B. Moore House is now on the National Registry of Historic Places. In the last 20-plus years, visitors reported all manner of unexplainable phenomena. What lurks in this otherwise picturesque farmhouse? Spirits of the victims? The dark presence of the murderer himself? Or could it be just the residue of the horrific crime that played out within its walls? Brave souls can tour the Velisca Axe Murder House and even stay overnight if they dare. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Kane waited patiently across the street, observing as the glow from neighboring houses dimmed gradually with each passing moment, signaling that the residents were retiring for the night. The wind had already gained strength, swirling the snow into wisps that dusted the hood of his Toyota with a thin layer of white. Having scoped out the place online, Kane figured the Axe murder house probably boasted the usual alarm system and security measures, but those were no match for his expertise. Disabling them had become second nature after so many successful break-ins. He'd just need to be cautious not to trigger any lights or alarms. Having prepared for his stay, Kane had stopped by a store earlier to stock up on essentials, a case of beer, and some non-perishable snacks, enough to sustain him until the roads were clear. It beat leaving a trail of incriminating receipts for anyone to stumble upon. As the neighborhood quieted down, Kane bundled up tighter in his coat, feeling the cold seep into his bones. Yet the looming silhouette of the axe murder house seemed to beckon him, promising warmth and shelter from the elements. Ignoring the prickling sensation at the back of his neck, Kane trudged through the accumulating snow toward the foreboding structure. It stood tall against the wintry sky, a stark contrast to the darkened landscape. Approaching cautiously, Kane slipped through a gap in the fence, sticking to the shadows as he made his way around to the back of the house. With each step, he couldn't shake the feeling of being watched, a sensation that only intensified when he thought he detected movement in an upstairs window. As Kane approached the porch, his heart began to race with excitement. The movement he thought he saw in the upstairs window had vanished, leaving him to wonder if it was just a trick of the shadows or something more sinister. Shaking off his unease, Kane focused on the task at hand. He reached into his pocket and withdrew a set of lock picks, expertly selecting the tools he needed to bypass the door security measures. With practiced precision, he worked the tumblers, feeling a sense of satisfaction as the lock clicked open. Pushing the door inward, Kane stepped into the darkness of the house, his senses on high alert. The air inside was stale and musty, carrying with it a lingering sense of tragedy. But Kane paid it no mind, his focus solely on finding a place to hunker down for the night. There was no electricity to light the house, which he was aware of beforehand, but there was heat, and he welcomed the warmth. 
He made his way through the silent halls. He made his way through the silent rooms, his footsteps echoing in the empty house. Each creak of the floorboard sent a shiver down his spine, but Cain pressed on, determined to make himself at home. Finally, he found a room tucked away at the back of the house, its furnishings sparse but serviceable. With a sigh of relief, Cain settled in, cracking open a beer and helping himself to a handful of snacks. As he ate, he looked around the room. It was an old bedroom. He hadn't paid much attention to the furnishings before, but he could tell now that the house was set to look like the time period of the alleged murders, just as it had mentioned online. It was almost disorienting, like traveling back in time. Intrigued, curiosity got the best of him, and he decided to explore. As he wandered through the first floor, from room to room, despite the grim history, he couldn't help but find a twisted sense of humor in the irony of seeking refuge in a place where innocent lives had been lost to someone not unlike himself. Wandering through the family room and into the kitchen, Kane couldn't resist the urge to touch the remnants of the past that lay scattered throughout the house. His fingers trailed over the worn surfaces of the furniture, lingering on the faded photographs that adorned the walls. He had sat down at the table where he read that the killer had left an unfinished meal and tried to imagine being that man, the one who had took so many lives in one night. He found himself excited by the idea wondering if the thrill would be much more intense than what he was used to. He was lost in his own gruesome fantasies when he heard a sound like a foot scraping across the floor above. His senses went on high alert in case he had been mistaken and was not alone in the house. Before standing, he slowly reached into his boot to retrieve the skinning knife that he kept hidden there and gently pulled it out. Slowly, he moved to the stairs that led to the upper floor, listening for the slightest hint of movement above. Each creak of the floorboards beneath his feet seemed to echo in the stillness of the house, heightening his sense of unease. Gripping the handle of the skinning knife tightly in his hand, Cain ascended the stairs cautiously, his heart pounding in his chest. He hadn't noticed the weight of dread before, but suddenly it engulfed him and was suffocating. As he reached the top of the staircase, he paused, straining his ears for any sign of the source of the noise. With a steady hand, he pushed open the door to the first room and peered into the darkness beyond. The faint moonlight filtering through the windows cast an eerie shadow across the room, obscuring any potential threats that may lie in wait. Kane took a cautious step forward, his senses on high alert as he scanned the dimly lit room. Suddenly, a floorboard creaked beneath his weight, causing Kane to freeze in place. His heart thundered in his chest as he waited, his breath caught in his throat. But no other sound followed, and the oppressive silence of the house enveloped him once more. As he stepped into the room, he saw two beds and a dresser. This was another bedroom. It looked like it had belonged to children. Across the dresser were toys, so old that they had to be worth some money. 
but what caught his eye was the mirror. A cloth had been thrown over it, and he wondered why. Then he remembered that there had been a mirror covered in the room downstairs as well. He couldn't help himself. He had the urge to remove the cloth, to reveal the old mirror beneath. And as he did, his own reflection startled him, causing him to laugh, until he noticed in the reflection that something dark was running down his forehead. He looked closer and then raised his fingers to touch the spot. The liquid was thick and warm, coating Kane's fingers with a dark crimson hue as he withdrew his hand from the unknown substance. In the pale glow of the moonlight, he watched in horror as the blood seemed to multiply, transforming into a gushing fountain that defied all logic. His heart pounding with terror, Cain recoiled in shock, his mind struggling to comprehend the surreal scene unfolding before him. With trembling hands, he reached up to touch his head again, only to feel the sticky warmth of blood pooling beneath his fingers. As panic threatened to consume him, a chilling sound pierced the silence of the room, the unmistakable sound of a child's laughter echoing through the darkness. Cain's blood ran cold as he spun around, his eyes darting frantically in search of the source of the haunting noise. Before he could react, the door slammed shut with a deafening thud, sealing him inside the suffocating confines of the room. At first, a surge of fear coursed through his veins, but then it was quickly replaced by anger as he lunged for the door and swung it open, determined to catch whoever was screwing with him. As the unsettling echoes of footsteps and giggling reverberated through the hallway, Kane's instincts kicked into overdrive. With adrenaline coursing through his veins, he hesitated for only a moment before bolting out of the room and into the dimly lit corridor. The air was thick with anticipation as he sprinted down the hallway, his senses on high alert for any sign of movement. Reaching the end of the hallway, he paused, his breath coming in ragged gasps as he scanned the adjacent room for any signs of life. Finding it empty, he breathed a sigh of relief before stilling himself for what lay ahead. Descending the staircase with cautious steps, Kane made his way back to the first floor, his ears straining for any hint of the mysterious laughter that had plagued him moments before. As he reached the bottom of the stairs, Kane stilled himself for whatever may lie ahead, his grip on the skinning knife tightening in anticipation of the unknown. Suddenly he heard a soft voice calling out to him from the shadows, a voice so innocent and pure, it sent shivers down his spine. Cain! Turning toward the source of the sound, Cain's eyes widened in shock as he saw a young girl standing before him, her eyes gleaming with mischief. She appeared to be no older than seven or eight, her golden locks cascading in waves around her delicate shoulders as she regarded him with wide, curious eyes. Do you, Do you want, want to play? play? She asked, her voice tinged with an otherworldly charm. For a moment, Cain hesitated, his mind torn between the instinctive urge to flee 
and the tantalizing allure of the unknown. But then a cruel smile spread across his lips as he concealed the skinning knife within the folds of his coat, believing himself to be the hunter rather than the hunted. Yes, he replied eagerly, his voice dripping with malice as he stepped closer to the young girl. But before he could react, a sudden blow struck him from behind, sending him reeling into darkness. Dazed and disoriented, Kane struggled to maintain consciousness as he was dragged across the floor with unyielding force. His head spun with a cacophony of voices, each one a whispering echo of his own twisted desires. As his vision blurred and his senses dulled, Kane could only watch in horror as the room seemed to warp and shift around him, the walls closing in like the jaws of a voracious beast. Shadows danced in the periphery of his vision, twisting and contorting into grotesque shapes that seemed to mock his every move. With a sinking feeling of dread, Cain realized that he was no longer in control of his own fate, that he had become nothing more than a pawn in a sinister game played out by forces beyond his comprehension. As Cain's vision gradually cleared, the room appeared to be filled with the translucent figures of children, their forms wavering and indistinct as if shrouded in mist. Struggling to make sense of the surreal sight before him, he began to count the ghostly apparitions, his heart sinking with each passing moment as he realized there were six of them in total. Among the spectral children, Cain discerned three girls and three boys, their youthful features frozen in expressions of sorrow and anguish. The heavy dread coiled like a serpent in the pit of his stomach as he took in the gruesome sight before him. Despite the blurriness of his vision, Cain could see that each child bore a horrific wound, a gaping split in their delicate skulls their lifeless eyes staring blankly into the void. The sight sent a chill down his spine, filling him with a sickening sense of horror and revulsion. As his vision began to sharpen and the details of the ghastly scene became clearer, Cain felt a surge of terror grip him with icy fingers. The children's wounds appeared to vary in severity, some with their skulls split wide open, while others had smaller, more discreet lacerations. The realization of what he was seeing struck Cain like a thunderbolt, sending a wave of nausea crashing over him. As he struggled to comprehend the reality of what he was witnessing, a sense of overwhelming dread washed over him, threatening to engulf him in a sea of darkness. He could feel the cold tendrils of fear creeping into his very soul, consuming him from within with each passing moment. With a trembling hand, Cain reached out to touch one of the ghostly children, his fingers passing through their form like smoke. A shiver racked his body as he recoiled from the chilling sensation, a primal instinct urging him to flee from the horrors that lurked within the axe murder house. But it was too late. Cain knew that he was trapped ensnared in a web of his own making, with no hope of escape. 
and as the ghostly children closed in around him, their mournful wails echoing through the darkness, he realized that he was about to face the ultimate reckoning for his sins. Thank you for joining us on our journey to the Velisca Axe Murder House. Tune in next week as we discuss another terrific location. I'm Carmen Carrion. Remember, you can send me suggestions and stories of haunted places to my email, carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Freaky Folklore, hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. Until next time, be safe out there until I see you at our next destination.